0: All right, welcome to another episode of the Speech Change Repeat podcast. Today with Professor Joseph Quedar. Hi, Joseph, how's it going?
1: Going, going well. Great to have uh, time with you, Jonathan.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm very pleased that we're doing this today. Super excited. Um, you're a professor of dermatology at the Harvard Medical School, um, editor at the MPJ Digital Medicine have written two interesting books, have been uh, super active, uh, actively uh, researching the space of connected health, have been uh, working with startups, um, you know, super interesting always to have, you know, this this intersection of science and kind of like also, you know, this link towards um, co- co- the commercial side of things, or let's say, you know, the, the, the practical side of things. That's why I'm super excited to have you today on the show, because you know, lately, uh, we had, you know, fewer scientists on the show. Uh, therefore, it's it's always, always good to have that switch. And, um, you know, as as always, uh, kind of as a first question for today, you know, icebreaker question for today, would be uh, great if you could kind of give us a background, you know, on obviously, where you're coming from, you know, I, I just teased a little bit. But um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, how, how did you come from, you know, the the, you know, the medical practice of dermatology towards, you know, really this intersection towards, you know, health and technology.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I, uh, I grew up in, in uh, Vermont, just, just north here of Massachusetts, uh, studied at the University of Vermont, both undergraduate and medical school, and I came to Boston to uh, do my post-MD uh, training. I ended up training in dermatology at the Harvard Medical School uh, combined program. And uh, like so many other people here was very much encouraged to do some basic science work. I wrote a, a grant, uh, was in the lab actually for five years. And, and then that didn't work well for me. So, so for the next couple of years that, that puts us into about 1993 or four, I was fishing around for something interesting to do. And one of the projects that I got handed was a um, project to understand what was then a new technology, digital imaging, and how it could uh, could could we take digital images of patients' skin lesions and could they be diagnostic, and could we use them for this? other also new thing at the time called teledermatology, and I just grabbed a hold of that, and and it became clear to me that the uh, if you could separate the medical decision making from where the patient is, all kinds of new things could be done that weren't being done then. So I got very excited about that and I never looked back. Uh, I built a program and oversaw a program at uh, the Mass General and the Brigham and Women's combined entity, which was called Partners Healthcare, now called Mass General Brigham. And uh, for about 25 years, uh, did a lot of work, was innovative, we did have some, core service offerings like online second opinions and remote patient monitoring, but most of it was uh, proof of concept, working with companies to prove out technologies and the like. Um, And then that group uh, was uh, transitioned away in the early part of 2020 and I then took on uh, and moved into a more national um, set of activities, which includes, uh, you mentioned some of them, so I I was, uh, For two years, the chairman of the board at the American Telemedicine Association just rotated off of that uh, post, but I still work actively with them. Uh, I'm the co-chair of the American Medical Association's Digital Medicine Payment Advisory Group, which really helps with digital medicine reimbursement in the US. Um, I am, you mentioned, editor at Nature Digital Medicine. And um, I spend, oh, I don't know, 20, 30% of my time on boards and or advising uh, companies, mostly early stage, but a real smattering of folks, because nowadays people, they want to learn about digital medicine, and I have some experience, so I'm tending to be uh, in a bit of demand, so that's pretty exciting
0: yeah perfect. and we're gonna we're gonna dive deeper into this in just a second. you know, um, you mentioned telemedicine, telehealth, you know, um, and i'm I'm curious, I think you're you know um, you spending, you know, you, you spent years in kind of like um, in this field already uh, before it kind of really took off uh, throughout, let's say the 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 previous, you know, let's say years with with covid obviously being being the major driver and i'm sure you have <laughs> you have spoken about this multiple multiple time but you know kind of as 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 the first topic for today i think it's so you know good to 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 jump into this um, how how do you how do you see really kind of you know the status quo with telehealth and telemedicine of today you know as as kind of an, an integral part of society of of care healthcare that is being delivered you know, and break it down for me of like what you see is going right and where you kind of like see your, 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 you know, your troubles with that.
1: Sure. Well, we, we've come a long way. We have a much longer way to go. Uh, so um, it's it like we invented the wheel. Now we've got to do all those things like make uh, carts and buggies and horse buggies and then cars and etc. cetera. But uh, it is true that uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns themselves, particularly again in the U.S., where I know uh, the situation the best, really promoted the idea of, in a particularly particular type of telehealth, which is video call with your doctor. There's, of course, many other things we do in telehealth, asynchronous, uh, uh, text exchange with your provider, uh, chatbots, AI. There's just a whole bunch of things, but The one that kind of got the megaphone treatment during the last two years has been video calls with your physician. And I think the good news from all that is that it has grown quite a bit. If you look at data from say June of 2019 compared to now, it's about a 24-fold increase in telehealth activity. Again, in the US, I'm talking about and it's been very stable over the last year. So that seems to be uh, the new normal. Now we're in a public health emergency and there's reimbursement right now that could change if the government doesn't continue that. So maybe we come back to that if you like, but let's pretend they do. And there's a lot of evidence that they will, that somewhere around 5% of healthcare claims will continue to be in telehealth. So again, a lot of people that have been in the business as long as I have would say, well, that's a victory. Let's, maybe I can retire and, and do something differently. But truly, I think it's just the beginning. Um, and the, so the big, the big issue is the second part of your question, which is what, what are the challenges. Uh, I think number one, maybe, is that having a video call, while it is convenient for you as a patient to do so in your home, it doesn't really help the healthcare delivery process that much because it still ties two people up in time. And we need to leverage technologies that will do what I call one-to-many, that allow us to have one healthcare provider oversee populations of patients with management by exception. And uh, one-to-one video calls don't really do that. The second challenge is that there isn't that much information that you can glean from a one-to-one video call. And the, the maybe biggest evidence of that is that the uh, leader in that 5% of claims that I mentioned a minute ago is behavioral health. That's not an accident because the exam for a psychiatrist is talking to the patient. And you can do that quite well over video. But if I was, say, a, uh, I don't know, let's say a liver specialist, I can't palpate your liver over the video. If I was a pulmonologist, I can do a lot, but it's more handy if I have you there to listen to your lungs um, and on and on it goes. So there are ways we can enhance some of that, but right now just the video call alone is, is relatively limiting. Um, and I think maybe the final uh, uh, thing I would probably say is uh, that we, we haven't yet done a good job of figuring out how to integrate that new channel of service delivery into the delivery process when if you called our office in 2019 and asked to have an appointment with me uh, you would get an appointment with me in the office that was the one thing we offered one channel healthcare delivery I like to call it now we have two and our service coordinators have to sort of try to figure out if you're a good candidate for telehealth or not and if you are it's really they're not trained to do that and So we need better processes for what we call hybrid care, Uh, triaging the people that are best for telehealth to telehealth, triaging the people that are best for uh, in-person visit to in-person, triaging the people that are best for urgent care of the emergency room right there as well. Um, And so that's, I think, important it is particularly important, not only for the quality of care and for the sanity of our patients, so we don't run them around saying, oh, you know, we just did the video visit, but it was a waste of your time because you really need to come in the office. But also the people who pay for healthcare don't really like the idea of paying for a service twice, of having me do just what I said, which is uh, to... to um, say to you well uh jonathan yeah i see that rash but you know you got to come in the office and then i end up billing them twice so we have to sort that out so a long-winded answer but those are my thoughts on your question
0: yeah so and i want to get particular into into that one aspect that you mentioned um because i think it is you know um aligning with with where i want want to have this discussion next which you said is you know um what you call as a concept of one to many, you know, the, the observation of many patients by one doctor. And I think that, um, you know, tackles the, the let's say the, the critical, the critical major challenge of, you know, scaling doctors and having too much, let's say, too, too, um, too many patients for, let's say, you know, just a number of uh, of doctors. And please, please elaborate on that one. Because, you know, maybe as a Giving it away, where I, where I'm trying to get this discussion is basically we talk a lot on this podcast about you know changing the healthcare towards preventative healthcare, right? And pre- preventing basically um, you know diseases from happening. And so I, I guess this is also where you're you're trying to to go with this so with this statement.
1: Well, they're related, but but let me try to unpack them and maybe then at the end integrate them again. Um, the main concept behind one to many uh, is what I call management by exception. So, if I have sensors in your environment, and um, there, there maybe there's apps on your phone as well that are collecting information about you and gathering it about your health and feeding it into the cloud, and then of course there's algorithms working on it in the back end. Uh, and, and then uh, I, as a healthcare provider, get I get notified when you need something in order to help you so that you don't end up costing more money and getting sicker. That could be prevention, but could also be as something as simple as you have heart failure and your weight's going up and you're gonna go to the emergency room if we don't intervene soon. So it runs the whole gamut, it's, it's, prevention is important and I'm all about it, but, but there's more. To, to it than that. So the idea is that with the technologies that we have, particularly in, in wearables and mobile apps, because they are with you all the time, we can build these longitudinal data sets about you, and we can start to learn your, what we call uh, phenotypic footprint, or maybe digital twin is another term we bandied about in this space. The idea that we can know enough about you to start to say, oh, Jonathan is gonna have a bad healthcare outcome uh, in the next 24 hours. Let's get in touch with them and see if we can't turn that around. And if that sounds far-fetched, let me just quickly digress and talk about two or three other examples of that. One is uh, a paper that was published a few years ago um, where a company based on the sound of your voice, not the content, but the sound could predict if you were about to have a heart attack. So that's one example. Another one is a guy who's the chairman of genetics at Stanford a University who mapped his genome and then just covered himself with all kinds of apps and sensors and tracked everything and watched himself develop type two diabetes and then reversed it with lifestyle changes. Because again, he was on top of it. He watched it all happen. So those are just a couple of examples of the power of longitudinal data collection and how they can allow us to, again, manage by exception. A young, healthy guy like yourself maybe needs very little interaction, but instead of sending you into the doctor once a year to have them say, you're, you're very healthy, see you later, we can avoid that if you're, if you're already proactively collecting all these data, which would include lab data as well, but a lot of it's wearables data and, and data from things that are collected on your mobile device. So that's one stream of thought. The second stream of thought is indeed, as you discussed and getting back to one to many, um, I have 70 or 80% of the cost of healthcare in the US is related to lifestyle illnesses. Um, it's, it's profound. So if I can use that same set of data that I just described and and this, I wrote about this in one of the books you mentioned that I wrote called The Internet of Healthy Things, wrote about this extensively, which is if I know how you're motivated and I know that data about you and I can combine those two things, maybe I can get you to take a healthier path and avoid high blood pressure altogether or avoid type 2 diabetes altogether. And you're right. And then save not only the system money and you need less touches from us, which is one to many but you
0: also live a happier, healthier life. Yeah. I, 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 love that you're putting it into this direction because this is exactly where I wanted this discussion to go. And I think the example you mentioned, uh, with Stanford, I think that was Michael Snyder. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we had him, we had him on the podcast as well, um, uh, last year. Really interesting um, guy. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's wearing these variables all over the place. So this is, um, a great, great example. Um, I, I, I love that you, um, you know, um, to put this first kind of concept into, uh, into place with the variables in mobile health. And I would like to dig a little bit more deeper into this because um, you know, I've, I've, I've really um, uh, spent a lot of time in that space uh, throughout, let's say, the last one and a half years, really digging deeper into exactly these concepts that you mentioned around you know, the kind of like digital phenotype, you know, moving a little bit more into kind of you know, w- w- what is the process of taking the data that we can collect you know, and potentially really, you know, making some sort of prediction um, about a human health variable or biological process, basically. And I I would like to dig a little bit deeper on this with you. Um, I think, I think we have seen a lot in the sense of, you know, we are able to collect a lot of data, but really connecting it towards, you know, human biology is, seems to be difficult and then you know moving that you know further down the line in the sense of you know just doing smaller feasibility studies um, for different kind of use cases you know different kind of health use cases and moving that then further in order you know to kind of increase the sample sizes and and you know um really moving some some somehow or some sometime time into clinical validation is that is that your observation as well
1: Yes, let me just underscore, maybe amplify a couple of things that you you mentioned. So one one is is the challenge in digital medicine in general with scale, um, and because so many of these, the the core of so many of these businesses is, again, as we talked about, taking a lifestyle related illness and changing behavior. Uh, behavior changes hard, sustaining behavior changes even harder. It's quite individual. Um, You could talk about social determinants. You can talk about lifestyle. You get to all these different variables. And to have a computer program smart enough to know those things about you and anticipate them and deal them and do that across, let's say, millions of people has been very challenging. and that because you, you're right in small samples, a lot of these things work well, they tend to work well and back, back to something you, you said in the very beginning, which is the intersection of research or uh, science and, and, uh, and marketplace. One of those challenges that in science, although we we can answer very specific questions with clarity because we're, we're, we're vary, varying one thing. If we do a really good experiment, we're varying one thing and everything else across the samples are the same. So you can say, well, this change and therefore they're at least correlated. Maybe they're causative. The problem with that is to, to, to sort of control everything and, and vary only one thing is not real world. So you take that same finding and you put it in the real world and it doesn't usually, it it usually attenuates. It doesn't, it's not as impressive. Um, And then on top of that, let's scale it to millions of people. And I've seen so many businesses stumble from those steps. They start out with someone who's often, they start out with someone who's a physician or a scientist who discovers something in the lab and is really excited about it and goes to the, Uh, tech transfer people and they get a patent or something they launch a company and even then doing work in small groups maybe pilots with early stage customers works pretty well but then when you start to scale it to thousands or millions it's it's it starts to falter I think another example maybe that's relevant to what we're talking about let's see if this works for you or if it's too obtuse but I like to use the example of tech support. Um, and I, I can think of two companies, which I won't name because it's not useful to, to do so. But, but uh, there's one company that I have service from in my home. And, and if I ever need tech support from them, I end up practically wanting to jump out a window because all I get is a robot and that robot Refuses to get me to a person. And it's always asking me to do things that I've already tried before because I'm not stupid. Like I know how to reboot the computer or restart the router or whatever it might be. So that's one model. There's another company that I have some devices and services from that's, yes, starts out with a robot, but within 20 or 30 seconds, transfers me usually to a human being because whatever software they're using senses that aspect, which is that I need a human being. Um, it's, it's that kind of nuance in healthcare that's really hard to achieve at, st- at scale. And yet all of these companies more or less are built on the notion that software is gonna do the work of human beings because that's what a SaaS model is all about. And we all, you know, investors like that, that, that makes money. So they're trying to cram a very, very sort of uh, nuanced individual specific interaction, which is healthcare, into a model where the computer can do it without a human being, and it often uh, stumbles when you get to scale. That's my observation. Yeah, be, be,
0: before before we go a little bit more into, let's say, the venture landscape, you know, or the commercial side of things, I, I would still like to, you know, stick a little bit around the, the research um, uh, aspect. You know, uh, two things maybe. You know, let's, let's start with the with the first one. What 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 are some some of the let's say better use cases that you've seen, you know, really, you know, um, at this intersection of kind of like collecting certain digital footprints, you know, and then, you know, kind of like moving, moving that into the direction of predicting something or making some sort of statement about a, you know, biological variable. And I, I mean, there's tons of feasibility studies, but let's say, what are, what are the ones where you see like, you know, clear kind of like a, you know, um, path forward in the sense of it really being impactful?
1: Sure. Off the top of my head, I, I guess one, one area that's red hot right now is behavioral health and mm-hmm. uh, co- you know, online cognitive behavioral therapy and and products like um, Reset and Reset O from Pair Therapeutics and, and others. Uh, a lot of digital therapeutics are in the behavioral health area. Um, it's a little bit like the intersection of psychiatry and a self help book, right? So somewhere in the middle there, there's some magic and if you do it right people can and and we know that the need for behavioral health is 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 through the roof so i see a lot of success in that space um in general i think another one um is diabetes uh, maybe not as dramatic success because i think it's a harder problem to solve than anxiety and depression and and i may i may get a lot of negative criticism for saying that, but but uh, type 2 diabetes is a tough one. And yet, companies like Omada, uh, v, uh, Vita, um, uh, Lark, uh, and uh, um, I'm forgetting others, there's, there's quite a few that are having good success in the diabetes space. Uh, because I used to say, if you start out with complete chaos, and you add a little bit of order, that's impressive. And type 2 diabetes, without a lot of added features is chaotic. The, the, uh, the, the idea that we used to med- manage that disease by having someone see their doctor every three months again, A1C, and then say, well, you know, you got to watch your sugar intake or this or that. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's abhorrent and silly. So you get these people with a little bit of mobile app and a little bit of uh, glucometer and a little bit of insulin pump, and you're doing dramatic things for them. So so that's a, an area that's, I think, doing really well. Those are probably two examples off the top of my head. There's, I'm sure, others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, may, let, let me hit you with a hard question. Um, it's it's more or less, I think, also kind of a f- philosophical question from a, from a science perspective. Um, wh- what I see oftentimes, or, uh, you know, I, I discuss this kind of dilemma as well um, w- with a few other scientists that, you know, are also advising other startups in, in, in the space, you know, is that uh, biology is a, is, a, is a human biology is a very complex uh, interplaying system. And, um, you know, the dilemma that you run into from a commercial side of things is that, you know, each of these companies are targeting one specific area, right. And their valuations are oftentimes, you know, based on, you know, on a you know through hardship basically building you know this small data set through their let's say early customers and then trying to scale etc etc but that's just one angle right and to really truly know the interconnection between you know different parts of human biology I guess that is you know really where the holy grail lies you know philosophically speaking what is your what is your take on this
1: well, we we can't make the problem so hard that we will go to sleep and not try to solve it. So so you're you're right, but but um, I mean progress is being made and has been made. And 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 beneath what you said and all the complexity, there are some relatively simple things. I mean, a, an example is behavioral economics, right? If you if you put the uh, water at eye level and the coke two two shelves down, people buy more water there. There are some things that are reproducibly simple about human behavior as well that we can take advantage of and and uh, leverage. So I, I don't think it's impossible. Uh, again, it's just that when you take something like a lot of what we're talking about in this in this pod is is lifestyle related, and and um, it's hard people. Again, I keep going back to diabetes, but that's, you've got to prick your finger three times a day and this and that. And I've got kids and the kids are running and I'm, I'm tired and I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Life gets in the way of our grandiose plans for your illness. So that's the part that you're speaking about. But again, I think there are some things that are relatively achievable and maybe a lot of that low hanging fruit has been done, but it seems like there's still more out there to do um and sometimes there's not the political will to do certain things as well. Hmm. Um, and not that I want to turn this into a political conversation, but just th- there's that side of it, too, which is when you talk about public health, um, sometimes there's politics get in the way of that as well. True, true. But let's not get into that.
0: Um, right. I, I i do I do have um, a question. and and that is, you know, uh, as a scientist, I'm always curious of, um, you know, how, do you as a scientist, you know, are selecting companies or slash, you know, let, let's put it differently, teams, you know, that you are, you know, that you're willing to support or to work with, you know, and you've worked with a couple of companies um, throughout your career. And and I'm curious, you know, behind your thought process in that, because there's obviously, I guess, you know, a lot of companies or let's say teams, founders, et cetera, they're reaching out to you. You know, a lot of opportunities where you are connecting with them, you're, you are in the ecosystem. How do you make that decision in regards to who you are really kind of, you know, working, working with or supporting along the way?
1: So let's start out by just sort of demystifying science for a minute. It, it, it is simply a way of looking at the world. It's, it's a way, it's deductive reasoning based look, way of looking at the world. There are other ways of looking at the world. There's religion, there's, there's all kinds of ways of looking at the world science is, is just that. It's one way of looking at the world. It's not the only way or the best way or whatever, but it is a way, and it's a way to get at truth, um, and usually if you do it well and, and you try to put your blinders on to bias, you you end up with some truth, but I'll just remind us that there's a fun, fun saying, which I repeat often, that when you graduate from medical school, half of what you know is wrong, and you just don't know which half, so And that's happened to me. I learned a lot of things that were quote unquote factual in medical school that were later disproven. So anyway, just so that we don't put science on a pedestal. That's my point. I enjoy finding the truth and I enjoy the deliberate process of trying to get to truth and feeling like you're doing it in a way again that's sort of as bias free as possible. Um, But when it comes to companies it's a little bit more about market success and, it's not to say that you would want to start a company that was based on no science whatsoever because uh, people have tried that and I don't like that. Uh, like take, let's take, you know, we'll just name Theranos as an example of something that was a complete fraud. So I'm not advocating for that. But on the other hand, I've seen a number of really well done scientific discoveries that go nowhere because the person who brings they bring into or the team to commercialize it doesn't know how to do that. So they're different things. The link for me, ask now answering your question, the link for me is if, and, and I so I'll give you an example. Uh, I mentioned this that in the internet of Health, healthy things I talked about this idea. Uh, the, the first chapter is a expose of a, uh, me going through a day with a virtual um, guardian called Sam who is steering me in the healthy direction all day long based on data from wearables and, and all these other things that you and I talked about. Two companies at least now, there's probably many others, but I'm involved with two that are executing on that vision. And the reason I decided to get involved with them is because I was so excited that someone was actually executing on that vision. Not that they gave me credit for their vision. That's I'm, I'm not being arrogant like that, but just I saw what they were doing and said, Hey, I, that's something that I thought would really be cool. Let's let me in, get involved. So I get involved more about content and excitement about, or what, what can I learn about if there's something that they're doing, I, I'm advising a, um, a company that's in the space of um, computer vision and dermatology in my field. Cause I think that's a really big part of our future. And so the one way to, to learn about it is to get involved and, and, um, some, sometimes I do some angel investing, that's an even deeper level of commitment. So it's really about what do I wanna learn? Number one, number two, are the people, do they have integrity? Would I wanna work with them? Do I want my name associated with them? Uh, that's really important. The only thing you have is your reputation at the end of the day. So I try very hard to make sure that the people executing are people that I would be happy to work with. Um, will I meet other interesting new people? What will I learn? Um, and way down the line is financial return. And that's just because I've had the luxury of working my whole life and, and um, putting a little bit of savings aside. So that's how I do it. But I appreciate the question very much. And again, just to summarize, science is, is one uh, uh, um, endeavor and, and market success is, is maybe there's a link somewhere, but it's a completely different skill set
0: right you know let's pick one specific um aspect and you 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 talked a lot lot about this or and you mentioned that term a lot uh which is um you know lifestyle and lifestyle changes basically and um you know there's a lot of companies that are trying to you know trying to tackle that and i think it's a fantastic fantastic thing to to work on and a fantastic um you know problem actually or 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 challenge you know to to solve in the sense of like how can you really sustainably, you know, change human behavior towards, you know, a more healthy lifestyle. And I think it's not trivial, I think it's quite difficult. And I I want to talk, I want to talk about this, because, you know, from my observations, what I see a lot with, you know, the variable companies, the preventative health companies, is, this is exactly what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to, trying to target, target the, the, the people that are already aware of their health and then try to kind of scale down towards, you know, the wider masses. However, I think the tricky question is, and I think most of them have not figured out, and, and I'm curious whether you've seen some interesting companies in that space, um, is the sense, how do, you, how do you put healthy lifestyle, you know, in, in kind of the attention pyramid of a person, you know, up the ladder or kind of like up, higher up? right because everybody knows that it's you know good to to do sports right everybody knows that i would i would assume right but let's let's just put that as a blunt statement and yeah. i think also most of the people know that you know an apple is better than i don't know a cookie right um just super simple examples here but i think you know but still for most of the people you know having an iphone for example right is way up higher the ladder than for example you know paying more for i don't know um for, uh, fitness related or health related stuff. Right. So how do you, how do you make that happen? How, how can you put that, that aspect, you know, higher and kind of the, the, you know, the attention of a, of a, of a person.
1: Honestly, if I knew I probably wouldn't be uh, (laughs) on the podcast with, you know, I'd be busy executing that, but I have (laughs) some ideas and there, there are some, you know, without all seriousness, there are some, Examples. One of them I mentioned earlier, which is behavioral economics and, 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 and um not just at a population level, but at an individual level. Uh, there are so many experiments in the last, I don't know, dozen years or so of employers saying, well, what if I do a lottery uh, for good behavior? Or what if I do a financial incentive for good behavior? Or what if I give away a car to the person who gets the most weight loss in the weight loss pool or People have tried all kinds of things and everything works about 30 or 40% of the time, which means a good 60 or 70% of people did not find it, a, it at all uh, engaging or interesting. Um, and so everyone's motivated a little bit differently and there's endless ways to segment motivation. Uh, once again, as, as we talked about earlier, you can make it such a such a difficult problem that you just wanna take a nap instead of solving it or you can say things like, well, there's there's a segment of people that by and large are motivated to help others. So let's put them in front of some sort of charity thing. If, if they get their exercise goals, then they get to we'll give money on their behalf to their favorite charity. There's another group of people who are uh, will will bet will be uncomfortable betting against themselves. So we'll tell them that we'll give you 50 bucks. But if you don't reach your goals, we'll take it away. And th- there's, again, all kinds of versions of that. Um, way to motivate people and, the, and the, the holy grail is at the individual level knowing what that motivational tactic is and inser- inserting that into the conversation around healthy behaviors and by the way going back to the technologies you have because of wearables and mobile apps you have a source of truth now you can you know every one of us I, I go I'm going for my yearly visit to my physician at a month or so and he'll say to me how much do you exercise and I'll say four or five times a week which is true on a good week but uh, most you know if I'm traveling or this or that so my average is probably three but I think four or five because that's my aspirational goal we all do that and so he could look at that and say well actually your wearables data would say that you don't really do five times a week Because we now have that data so that's the way the two are linked there's the motivational side, but there's a source of truth as well.
0: yeah absolutely and um, you know, maybe maybe kind of as a as a as a last last question for today, you know um, you are uh, there's a statement that you know people kind of um, you know underestimate, uh, underestimate what happens in 10 years, but like overestimate what happened in, what happens in two years. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in, in, the health space or in the digital health space, we've, we've seen a lot happen, right. And a lot of kind of like moving, you know, super fast into, into kind of the right direction within the, you know, due to COVID, but mm-hmm. what is something that you are, you know, that you are kind of eager to see, you know, within the near future something that you kind of observe, um, you know in in your space where you say like okay this is this is something you know where i hope to see things moving in, in kind of like the near future you know not just like super futuristic outlook but like really kind of hands-on example if you if you have some i know these questions are hard
1: <laughs> oh no i do uh i, I was laughing because i I, I always lo- love to watch the movie blade runner and see the things they got right and the things they got wrong and so the <laughs> one example i love is that um and remember this came out and I want to say 1981 maybe. Um, and there's a scene where, where uh, Harrison Ford ha- has a video call with someone, but he goes to a phone booth to do it. So anyway, that's just a digression, but I, I just think. Um, so I'm not predicting that far ahead. So that Blade Runner was to take place in 1919 and the film was 1981. That's why just to emphasize your point of short term is better. No, I think virtual first primary care is really interesting, and that's coming out big in the U.S. And I'd love to just see. And the reason I I like that one for for this answer is because for it to work, it has to integrate all kinds of these technologies. You have to have good chatbots on the front end. You have to have that piece where I talked about where you get transferred to a human being if you need one. You have to have enough sense to get a person into a urgent care if they really need that. Um, ideally, if I said, Jonathan, you should go to urgent care, but here are five within t- 10 miles of you and here are the wait times at each, right? We see this technology in other sectors, whether it's uh, home food delivery or flagging a ride or what have you. What I'd like to see healthcare do and particularly in virtual first is more of that integration of experience so that you actually feel like it's not just you know we hang our hat on the quality of our doctors but wouldn't it be nice to hang our hat on the quality of the experience as well Um, I think we can get there in the next 10 years it's going to take time to do it Um, and the other part of that experiment that I'm excited to see whether it plays out or not is that they're selling those virtual first plans for a smaller or sort of cheaper premium cost to the end user that would be interesting if, if you can actually have Amazon deliver Amazon level service, which is amazing in healthcare for less money, that'd be a big breakthrough.
0: Amazing. Joseph, thanks thanks a lot for being the show. It was really great having you on and thanks for you know sharing the insights here.
1: Yes, great to be with you today. take care.